All right, welcome back to the Leon Lounge. Um, today, I'm going to do an episode about um, the history of boxing and a little more specifically, bare knuckle boxing. You know, those old guys, you know, like you see the dudes with the one fist way out and the other kind of close and they're shirtless wearing, you know, uh, uh, pants, long pants, you know, and like a cummerbund or something. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna talk about those guys a little bit, just kind of where it originated and where it started, and uh, more specifically. Sorry, I just ate. <clears throat> I just ate a. Uh, I just ate like a Philly cheesesteak sandwich on a ciabatta bread. So <clears throat> there's a good chance that I'm gonna have a heart attack. But it was pretty good. It was Steakums, and I've also had a few. So this is kind of like a, like a drunk history type of thing. But more specifically, one fighter in particular i'm going to talk about her because she was actually one of the first female uh well-known bare knuckle boxers and her name was elizabeth wilkinson but before i get to her i'm going to go back and i'm going to talk about how um bare knuckle boxing began a little bit you know and it goes back a lot farther than most people think you know when when you say you know today when someone says bare knuckle boxing they think about the bare knuckle boxing uh fighting championship you know and and Paige Van Zant is in it and 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 whatever and and the, it's on TV now like it's like it's like a it's like a offset of the UFC kind of but they don't use uh gloves at all they just wrap their hands and and, and box which is wild but um really you know if when a lot of people think of bare knuckle boxers they think about you know the the iconic, you know, meme of the guy who's shirtless and he's, you know, he's got the big uh, handlebar mustache, you know, and he's, you know, uh, put your dukes up and fisticuffs, you know, that kind of guy. But it actually goes back way farther than that. It goes back, um, it goes back all the way to like Egyptian times, actually, which is crazy to think about. But the earliest, the earliest records of boxing date from before, from even before the Greek and Roman empires. So, like, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs from around 4,000 B.C. Uh, show that there was, like, combat between soldiers, and it was practiced. And uh, thongs were wrapped around their hands and forearms, and, uh, and it, it was, like, a primitive form of a boxing glove. And, and I don't mean, uh, like, G-string thongs, because... You know these these songs were made of like uh you know like leather or whatever and I and I tried to to do a little research on the thongs and I put in I typed in um uh, early leather thongs and uh, what I thought was gonna come up didn't come up at all something else came up but I love a good leather thong don't get me wrong uh so uh, what they what they called it early on was uh what I thought was the word pugilism. But it's not pugilism. It's not. It's not uh, pug dogs running around. It's not the. It's not the study or talk of pug dogs. It's pugilism. It's pugilism, right? And it's a mixture of Greek and Latin, and it means to fight with the fist. So that's what pugilism means, and that's what it was kind of called for a long time was pugilism. So, um, but the term, the actual term, boxing, comes from. Uh, what you do with your fist, with, with clenching of your fist, they would say you're making a box out of your hand, right? So you're forming a box with your hand. That's why it was called boxing. And it, you know, it went through all kinds of different stages. <clears throat> and it evolved a lot and different different things came about it. But so it, it, went, it went through a lot of development, right? And the Greeks, 
and, and man, shout out to the Greeks because the Greeks, man, they did a lot. They were like, they were like the early proponents of a lot of things that we do today. Like most of our society is like based on what the Greeks did and also the Romans shout out Romans and, uh, shout out, uh, 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 uh Roman wipes for your, for your penis. But the Greeks in 900 BC, um, they, they would actually make warriors sit on flat stones facing each other wearing the leather thongs and that sounds way more uh sexual than it is and, and let's be honest this is the greeks in 900 bc there was definitely some sexual stuff going on because there's a lot of evidence of that but these guys would sit and then they were given a signal and they would just begin wailing on each other just just mercilessly beating on 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 the other guy and the and the the fight was only over when one of them was dead so they would beat them to death, right? And uh, you know, the the fights could the fights could last so long that people would get bored. So then they started putting metal studs into the into the thongs wrapped around their fists, and uh, and then spikes, right? And then just a couple of blows would just completely smash the other guy's face. And then like you know, obviously it, once you continued after that, the guy would just die. You just beat him until he was dead. So that's pretty crazy. And, uh, honestly, kind of, uh, kind of, kind of cool to think about. And, you know, it, I, I mean, they were probably doing it for honor. Like imagine if you were the winner, right? You could probably just, uh, you could probably just get laid pretty easy. But so then in 688 BC, boxing was introduced into the Olympics. Okay. And we all know, like, the Olympics started in ancient Greece. So it was introduced in the Olympics. So that's how far back this goes, you know. And we're still doing this today. There is still boxing in the Olympics today. And it started uh, uh, 688 years uh, before uh, Christ walked the earth. So it was entered into the Olympics, and then they wore leather gauntlets from the knuckles to the elbows. So a gauntlet is kind of like a... A gauntlet's kind of like one of them, kind of like one of them uh, gloves that you would wear if you were like a falconer, you know, like something that a falcon could land on your forearm and fly off and then go eat something or do a trick or something and then come back. And kind of like a, uh, like a Thanos glove, you know. So they would wear those and they wore head guards and they also used punching bags. They developed punching bags to practice on. And I got a I got a punching bag hanging right here right now, because I I the, one of the reasons I chose this topic is because I really like boxing and I like uh, mixed martial arts and and Muay Thai and stuff like that. But the the champions were sponsored by their cities and they were celebrated by poets and they were commemorated on vases and in statues. You know, kind of like the beginning of that uh, cartoon Hercules. You know, where he's got his face on all those statues at the very beginning. And I love that movie. So it, the, the boxing continued in the Olympics without the metal studs, but during the Roman holidays and the gladiatorial feasts, the contests were held to please the crowds, specifically just to please the crowds. So the pugilists, there's that word again, pugilists would be brought in from Africa and the winners were awarded maidens as prizes. Like I said before, if you won, you could get you a maiden and you were and you had it made in. So a sort of professional circuit emerged out of this, right? So they realized that this was like, this was a big deal. And 
fighting to fighting to to death or near death was just it wasn't the best training right so like if think about that like if you if you're in a fight to the death with somebody you've only got like three in you if you made it to the third one you were probably horribly disfigured and and you know you probably needed months to recover in order to even see again. I mean, these people are hitting you with metal spikes. So the studded gloves were abolished. They got rid of those. And uh, that was just out of necessity. So the, 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 without the, without the glamour and the, and the pizzazz of the fighters getting killed, um, the, the, the interest in it kind of faded off because, you know, um, it, th- this is a time when, you know, like gladiators were like, you know, uh, slaying each other in, in Roman coliseums. And it was probably hard to keep people's interest of just two guys just kind of bopping each other on the, you know, booping each other on the snoop. So 339 AD, the emperor at the time terminated the Olympic Games and boxing disappeared for almost 1300 years. That's a long time. And then it finally it finally resurfaced in England in the 17th century, and uh, it was it was linked to fencing. It was kind of like fencing, and the masters who taught the back sword were often instructors in boxing as well. And there were sciences they were they were they were well versed in the sciences of self defense. Okay, so these guys were like they knew they knew every kind of modern way to fight with hand to hand or also with you know swords and and whatever, and. Uh, they, they would just hold events and have public fights with and without swords, okay? So, the it, it got more and more popular. So, fighting fighting is starting to make, a, make its arise again. People were without it for so long, and now they have it again. And, uh, I mean, honestly, I'm thinking that the, it, it was probably still pretty common for, for people to just, you know, wail on each other probably in the public streets and whatnot because it's just so natural. And, and, and... I don't know this, but I believe that early man, the reason when you see like a picture of like a Neanderthal and he's got like the big prominent brow, this is, I don't know anything. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a genealogist or an archaeologist or, or, or any of that, but I believe that the reason his brow was so prominent is because he probably used his head as a weapon many times, you know, uh, and headbutting it, it was probably pretty normal for him. He probably used it to like open up, you know, coconuts and stuff, but as it became more and more popular, the term prize fight started being used. It was a prize fighter. You you won for being the strongest man. You won a prize. So strong men with an aptitude for the sport, they would just roam the countryside in small groups with a uh, length of rope. And they would attract a crowd, and one of them would issue a challenge to the audience for anyone to fight for a, uh, for a guinea. Uh, which I'm, I'm assuming is some sort of uh, form of payment. So spectators would form a circle with the rope, which would make a ring, which is where we, which is why we call it a ring. And uh, they would accept the challenge. Someone would, and an onlooker would throw his hat, hence tossing one's hat into the ring. This is so. This is where. So, so when someone says I'm ta- I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, this is where that term came from. Okay. So it came from these guys uh, in in England early, early on, and they would make a ring out of rope, and someone would just toss their hat in, and that meant that there would be that they would accept the challenge, 
right? So that's where that term comes from. If, if anybody was, has ever wondered that, that's where it comes from. And now you can go and uh, if you hear somebody say that, you can be that, that dude at the party who, uh, you know, knows things and say, well, you know where that, you know where that, you guys know where that saying came from? Yeah, it came from, and you can be that guy or not because <clears throat> some people don't like that guy. But should there be no challengers, two of the party would box each other, right? And, uh, and, and then they, and then they would just do that and then move on to the next village. So they were like a traveling, they were like on a tour. They were on like a traveling fight tour, you know, in the early days of boxing. So traveling fairs would have a, they would have a booth and and they called it a boxing booth and the boxing professionals would challenge the public or box each other with spectators paying to watch. And uh, any man who showed strength and aptitude would become a champion of his village or his, you know, his his area, his locality. And uh, the neighbors would often support him in challenges and other local competitions. And then a purse might be put up for the winner and there would be plenty of betting. So the winner could win the purse, right? He could win all the money for being uh, a strong, strong dude. But boxing matches of this time didn't resemble the matches of today. It was a little bit different. So the the fighters were they were stripped to their to their waist and they did not wear gloves and uh kicking, biting and gouging were not allowed and neither was hitting or grabbing below the waist. But uh most other things were allowed, you know, and and wrestling was like a part of it. Like they would they would still wrestle. And should the opponent be, the, the opponent could be knocked or thrown to the ground, either by picking him up around the waist or a popular move known as a cross buttock, which is kind of like a judo throw, you know, where you get kind of behind the dude a little bit and use your hip like a hip toss. So having thrown an opponent to the floor, it was allowed that you could fall on top of him and put as much force into that fall as possible, you know, probably uh, breaking a couple of ribs. And, but, it was it was not allowed to strike the opponent or inflict any damage once he was down apart from falling on him. And then a round ended when a man was down. So once the man was down, that was the end of that round. And that's not really how it is today. And then there was a 30-second break before the next. And rounds could therefore be any length and carried on until one man was just completely unable to continue. There were no referees. And uh, the spectators were the guardians of the fair play. So the people would come up and be like, hey, you can't do that or whatever. It was You were just relying on people. And, man, that is not a good system because uh, if we did that today, there would be probably a lot more a lot more deaths. We, you really need a referee because uh, people, are, people are bloodthirsty. We all know that. So more and more people began to follow this sport. And, and the ring would be formed by the spectators and would hold the rope. And um, the, the, and holding the rope was not fun as a shape could not be maintained under the pressure of all the supporters pushing on you back and forth. It'd be like, it'd be like being at a, at a concert and you trying to hold a rope in the middle of a mosh pit and keep people out of it, right? Because of the excitement. So then they started using stakes to to wind to to wind the rope around and make an outer ring, and this you know was just out of necessity. And then, you know, the people who like the 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 people who would put up the money and stuff like that, they would be 
they would be in like the the outer ring and have their own little place and then a timekeeper was added and he used like a whistle or a gong to indicate when 30 seconds had elapsed between rounds so they knew how long their breaks were they you know so they didn't care as much as how long the rounds were the rounds ended when someone went down but they cared about your break and you had 30 seconds and I've you know I've fought before 30 seconds is it's 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 a it's it's not a long time but it's long enough I think when I fought I had a 15 second break in between two minute rounds but it seemed like uh it seemed like that break I would sit down and then uh blink my eyes and then it was it was time to go back in and I remember one time my uh ring mate the the my my one of my corner persons I I told her I said I need some water and she had forgot the water and she said it's not time to drink it's time to fight so I had to go in and fight thirsty but whatever big deal <clears throat> so the two fighters would occupy the diagonal corners and it, it, this each was allowed supporters, right? So this this is where they started to introduce like their corner men, right? So you get in your corner and you were allowed two supporters and the men were usually also fighters themselves and also fought probably in the same events or a supporting bout and uh, you know, if the fight was quick or whatever, they would they would step in and fight also. And this uh, is where the term seconds comes from, you know. One seconds, one second would use his knees as a seat for the boxer to sit on in between rounds. So the guy would put his knee down like he was, you know, proposing to 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 somebody, and then a dude would sit on it. A uh, little strange, but you know, the other was to try and revive the fighter. You know, he was the bottle man, and uh, even today, one of the seconds gives a boxer water during the break, which I did not get one time, and I remember that. So. A line would be scratched across the center of a ring, dividing it into two halves, right? So then at the start of the of the bout, the boxers towed at the line. And as uh, an expression still used today. So the beginning of each round, the boxers had to tow the line. So this is where the term this is where the term tow the line comes from. It's where the expression tow the line comes from. It comes from early on, they would draw a line in the middle of the ring, and each side would have to come up and put their toe to the line, right? So that's what it means when someone says, I'm going to toe the line. And it's not T-O-W, it's T-O-E, as in your big toe, goes on the line. Then the timekeepers would give the boxers eight seconds uh, for the boxers to come up to the mark. And if he was unable to do so, he would lose. So in between the rounds, if he was just so out of it and he couldn't make it up there, you he lost. And he had a whole eight seconds to stagger up to toe the line. And, uh, it you know, he was counted out of time, and hence a count-out, or known as a knockout, the term stake money came about as the boxers' purses were tied to the stakes of the ring so they could see no one was making off with the cash. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting, too. So the first champion of the bare-knuckle arrow is generally generally acknowledged as a man by the name of James Fig. And, uh, alright, so at this point in time, this is when I'm going to talk about, um, Elizabeth Wilkinson. I'm going to... I'm going to segue over to Elizabeth Wilkinson at this time because not a lot is known about her and there's not a lot of information out there about her. But her story is fairly interesting and um, 
she she was her name was Elizabeth Wilkinson, but she was also alternately referred to as Elizabeth Stokes, and she was an English bare knuckle boxing champion from a town called Clerkenwell, and uh, she's considered by a lot of people to be the first female boxer ever. So she 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 was born in London, and uh, she she would often say she was she was of a famous city of London, and. Uh, she appears to have come from a working class English background, and this was typical of most you know, people at the time. But we don't know if Elizabeth Wilkinson was her birth or legal name, because there was a lot of speculation that she was married to a man named Robert Wilkinson, and that marriage did not work out. But he was a prize fighter, and he was also a thief and a murderer, and he was executed in 1722. And so uh, uh, people say that she used his name because she wanted the notoriety. She wanted to be associated with such a, a, a man with such synonymous, you know, an infamy uh, around him, right? So that's why she went by that name. And uh, she married another fighter. Uh, so she, she purportedly, we don't know for sure, that she married another fighter named James Stokes. And, uh, and that's where the, we also may know her as Elizabeth Stokes. So sometime, sometime between 1722 and 1726, she became known as Elizabeth Stokes. And her last documented fight in 1728, um, that was the last we know about her. There's no much, there's not much more that we can find out from her in about her historical boxing record or whatnot. But in June of 1722, Wilkinson challenged Hannah Highfield of, of Newgate um, to what may have been the first ever female prize fight in London. And her advertisement in a London newspaper, she said, she said this, she said, she said, I, Elizabeth Wilkinson of Clerkwell, have a hassle word with Hannah Highfield and require in satisfaction to invite her to meet me on stage and box me. Please don't make fun of my uh, old school English accent. That's just what I imagine she might have sounded like. Um, but so what they had to do for this one is that each of the women uh, would grasp a half of a crown in each hand. And then that rule prevented any uh, gouging or scratching that was common at this time in boxing. So she went on that year to fight a, a fish woman named Martha Jones. I think I've known a couple of fish women in my day who she reportedly beat after 22 minutes. So Wilkinson became a fixture of the boxing venues, right? And this is why I segued over because she often fought at the, the very popular venues of the famous boxer James Figg. Right, So James Figg at this time was the most prominent promoter and male boxer of the early 18th century. But Elizabeth was actually the more popular and famous boxer at the time. So she doesn't get the play that she deserves. She doesn't get talked about enough because people, you know, people were coming out. People were coming out to these fights that were being promoted by James Figg because they heard about a woman who was fighting a bare knuckle boxing and she was winning and she was like she was she was talking a lot of trash she was like putting stuff in the newspaper so they were like coming out to see that and then that would get them interested in boxing right and it still kind of happens today like I know of a lot of women who they're not really interested in UFC 
but like the thought of a woman doing it interests them. So they get they get they get drawn in because of you know like uh, Ronda Rousey, Gina Carano, Rose Nama Yunus, like all these are these famous uh, female fighters. Now it, it inspires, and they say, "Oh, so I'll come and watch this this woman do this," and then that gets them more interested, right? And that I I believe that that's probably what was happening at the time. So, but James Fig kind of gets all the play. He gets he gets talked about more because he was he was just the promoter. So, in uh, October of 1726, a fight was announced between Wilkinson and the Irish Mary Welch, and it was supposed to be it was supposed to be taking place at a, a James Stokes's amphitheater, right? Which was kind of her her main squeeze. This was Elizabeth's main squeeze at the time. But the note at the bottom of the advert says they fight in cloth jackets. Short petticoats coming just below the knee, Holland drawers, white stockings, and pumps. And uh, be honest, that sounds kind of sexy. But so, if but at the time it was more common for women and sometimes even prostitutes, they would fight topless. But because Wilkinson was fighting clothed, it defined themselves as more serious, right? It, it made people think like, oh, these aren't just your run of the mill, you know these these aren't your run of the mill, you know, toots out here. Just you know, floozying about and then getting a couple extra bucks on the side by you know having their having their bazoombas out in boxing. So the newspaper featured an advert, and uh, Welch had a lot of respect for Elizabeth. She named she she called her the famous championess of England. And uh, Elizabeth's response, where she claimed to be undefeated, saying she have having never engaged with any of my own sex, but I always come off with victory and applause. And uh, Wilkinson and her husband, James Stokes, were also challenged as a pair. So they were like a fighting couple. And uh, he, she would fight the woman, and he would fight the man. And uh, this, uh, her, one of these first ones was her former opponent, the Irish Mary Welch, and her trainer, Robert Baker. They challenged them, and uh, they fought each other, right? So Thomas and Sarah Barrett also gave a similar challenge, calling Wilkinson the European championess. And in their response, James Stokes notes that Elizabeth was, uh, she was thought, she was thought not to fight in public anymore, but my spouse not doubting, but do the fame and the hopes to give a general satisfaction to all the spectators. So he's saying like, she, she's not really, uh, keen to be doing this, but she's going to do it to keep the people happy. So, uh, you know, in addition to just being a boxing champion, Wilkinson was also an instructor and she was a good self-promoter she really knew how to trash she was like one of the early trash talking fighters you know like she would like i said she would publish things in newspapers and she would she would hold uh she would hold public you know forums where she would talk about her opponents and and hype herself up and 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 really you know talk herself up but uh she she really she was kind of like a wordsmith you know so this this lady was smart and she would say funny things like she was supposed to fight a woman named Ann Field who was a uh an ass driver and uh take take with that what you will it's got something to do with uh with with donkeys but um she told the readers that the blows which I shall present her with will be more difficult for her to digest than any she ever gave her asses. Is what she told her readers, right? So, e- even though she defied 18th century uh, gender roles, Wilkinson's was celebrated and never condemned by English society. Um, you know, and, and years after her career ended, 
uh, writers went on to praise her and uh, more, th- more than any of the other boxers around her at the time. This changed at the 19th century, okay? So the 19th century rolls around. References, became, references to her became rare and negative because they were trying to bring more prominence to James Figg. You know the, old, the 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 limelight hog at the time, and uh, you know they people tried to argue her story and ignore her story because they were trying to push it more towards a man's thing. And isn't that just par for the course? You know what I mean? Isn't you know? And uh, it's really not fair. She should have been acknowledged more, right? But that's that's it for that for my little segue over to her because not much more is known about her. Like there's really just not a lot of information about her. But she was obviously a very tough woman. She was obviously very smart, very cunning. She was a wordsmith. She knew how to fight. She knew how to promote herself. And if and you know, and if I close my eyes and imagine her, I imagine she looks like Gina Carano in a petticoat. And let me tell you, um, I would I I'd probably let her beat me up. You know, that'd be fun. So, uh, so here, here, here we are. It's the James Fig time, and this is the rollout of the boxing booths, right? So the fairground boxing booths for over two hundred years was just a cradle for many great British boxing hopefuls, right? And uh, all throughout history, there were several fighters that fought in these boxing booths and in and other venues and they some of them go by the name of Jim Mace, Kid Furness, Jimmy Wild, Tommy Farr. So all of them fought in these, you know, they were exhibited on these boxing shows. So the fairground boxing booth was a it was a brightly colored display, you know, and it had the names and the faces of uh boxing's heritage. And, uh, it, you know, it's gone, it, it, it was kind of like a sideshow. But boxing shows flourished on the fairgrounds for many years, and it went on like this for a long time. I'm going to make this one a, I'm going to make this a two-parter, uh, two 30-minute parts. So, by all means, guys, thank you for turning in to this part one of the history of bare-knuckle boxing, and stay smooth. Thank you.